Welcome to the Macmillan Report. I'm Marilyn Wilkes, your host, and today our guest is Professor Kalyanakrishna Shivaramakrishna, a professor in both the Anthropology and Forestry and Environmental Studies departments at Yale, as well as chair of the South Asian Studies Council. Professor Shivaramakrishna's research interests span environmental history, political anthropology, cultural geography, development, and science studies. He has published widely in all of these fields with a regional focus on South Asia. Today, we will be talking about his new work on environmental conflicts in India. Welcome, Professor Shivaramakrishna. Thank you for having me here. How did you become interested in forests and agricultural issues in India? Uh, that goes back a while because uh, this is uh, not my first career. I started out right out of college going to work uh, for the government of India. And in that job, I worked first extensively in eastern India as a rural development officer, getting a lot of experience doing rural development projects, mainly to do with uh, agricultural development issues. And uh, later, I worked for some years in the government of India, the Ministry of Environment and Forests. Uh, planning an exciting new program on the development of wastelands and forest conservation programs that the, uh, India was getting very interested in doing. The ministry was new at the time and they were really expanding their activities in natural resources management and forest conservation. So that experience uh, gave me a lot of exposure to these topics and developed my interest in these topics. And I realized what I really wanted to be doing was studying them and teaching about them. So I ended up going to graduate school and wrote my dissertation on uh, forest management and conservation in Eastern India. And the project started out being primarily interested in uh, efforts to involve local villagers and people who live in and around forests in the care of the forest that they depended on, but we also were a valuable natural and national resource. And these projects had been funded by various organizations like the World Bank and the Ford Foundation and the government also. But studying these fairly novel attempts to get cooperation going between the conservation agencies and local people, I realized I really should be looking at a much longer history of forest management in the region, which took me into my research into the environmental history of the area and uh, the life and cultures of various tribal and other agricultural communities in the area. And the historical research took me back uh, almost 400 years into the beginnings of the colonial period. And I ended up uh, working on that topic for almost 10 years for my dissertation and beyond. And uh, wrote several books and articles on that topic. And that, uh, that was sort of how I got into this. Okay, so let's talk about your newest project. Tell us a little bit about it. My, since then, my research uh, moved into related areas. I got interested in uh, more broadly in human-animal relations, wildlife conservation, and the relationship between uh, environmental change and agriculture, especially in certain dry areas where there was chronic uh, food and livelihood insecurity and uh, how that might be related to the scarcity of water and the poor conditions in which people farmed. And studying that 
uh, took me also to new regions. I went uh, after having worked for more than a decade in eastern India, in Bengal and in Assam. I now moved my field research to South India, to the state of Tamil Nadu, which is on the southernmost part in the, of India, in, just across the sea from Sri Lanka. And uh, working there, I began to study initially uh, dry land farming, but got interested in issues of migration <clears throat> and related issues of uh, wide-ranging conflicts around natural resources and the scarcity of natural resources. Let's talk a little bit about, um, specifically about those conflicts. Yeah. Um, what are you finding? Well, uh, I found that the, in any particular area, the conflicts related to a number of resources simultaneously. Because in these areas, people depended both on farming and on forests and on uh, you know, livestock and animal uh, herding and so on, the conflicts simultaneously uh, hinged on uh, terrestrial resources as well as uh, various agricultural commodities and of course uh, uh, labor. This, despite the fact that these are fairly well populated regions, there's always uh, endemic sort of seasonal scarcity of labor which leads to a lot of migration and then conflicts go beyond the local area into neighboring areas as well. Uh, the escalation of uh, agricultural crises both there and other parts of the country led to increasing levels and intensity of conflict. And one of the things that I noticed uh, was that more and more cases were being uh, filed. That is, there was more and more litigation taking place around these conflicts. And uh, there was, from about the mid-1980s, a spate of cases leading to, uh, going all the way up to the Supreme Court, leading to a number of uh, rulings that the Supreme Court handed down. And I realized that there was a whole new domain that was emerging as a result of environmental conflicts in which the courts were getting very heavily involved and basically creating new conditions for the management uh, and new understandings of what are citizenship rights, what are environmental qualities, what kinds of quality of life, especially clean air and clean water and adequate access to green mm, uh, amenities people might have as citizens. So I began to get much more interested in the role of the courts in uh, these environmental conflicts. Okay. And why is it important to look at these environmental kinds of issues? Well, I believe uh, these, these are extremely important issues. I mean, today the world is facing a number of very challenging environmental problems. Of course, we know best uh, the ones relating to global climate change because they have been made so prominent thanks to the tireless efforts of uh, the IPCC and uh, former Vice President uh, Al Gore uh, and their efforts even won them a Nobel Prize. <clears throat> so everyone knows about climate change. But uh, besides climate change, there are serious problems relating to the productivity of agriculture. Most of the world, the majority of farming still takes place in dry conditions, reliant on seasonal uh, availability of moisture through monsoons and other uh, weather events. And such agricultural systems are in grave crisis, which is why we are having what appears to be a growing, growing problem of food crises. For instance, uh, in the news there have been a lot of talk recently of an impending food crisis in various parts of the world. Uh, some of it has been attributed to uh, some countries like the U.S. growing biofuels. Uh, but nevertheless, 
what you begin to realize is there are conflicts relating to climate, relating to agriculture, and of course, the, uh, the um, disappearance of a wide variety of plants and animals, and uh, the, the loss of biodiversity, and, uh, and related issues of water and air uh, pollution and toxicity in soils and so on. So there are a lot of problems, and many of them are manifest on a large scale in a large uh, country like India, where all its, all its terrestrial resources and quite a bit of its atmospheric resources have been heavily used and managed for several hundred years at this point. The other reason why I think India is a particularly useful uh, example through which to study some of these issues is its rapid economic growth in the last 10, 15 years, India has been growing at a remarkably fast pace. And like China, uh, this poses, along with China, this poses major environmental uh, questions that have to be addressed urgently. And I think studying them in a place like India is particularly exciting and rewarding because it's an open society, it's a democracy. No conflict can be easily resolved because so many uh, groups are involved, so many constituencies have to be dealt with, and all this has to be done in a way that is, as far as possible, participatory and democratic. Mm -hmm. So in terms of your newest project, what are you hoping to find or learn through your research? Uh, I'm, as I said, I'm interested particularly in the emergence of this expanded judicial uh, intervention in this attempts to manage and resolve environmental conflicts in India. So what I'm hoping to find is the new patterns and systems of environmental management of government that are emerging mm -hmm. through a combination of the efforts of the courts, the executive branch of government, the democratic aspects that is the legislative branches of government, and the vigorous involvement and activity of civil society organizations, NGOs, uh, activists of various kind, and the relationship all this has to the aspirations and struggles of small-scale local communities and growing and extremely uh, prosperous large middle classes in the big cities and how these might be matched, how these might be reconciled and how they might be uh, managed in a way that conflicts are mitigated and in, but their environment is also protected and nurtured. Okay, so um, what is your next step with this project? Well, the next step is as soon as I can get some leave is to go off and do some more field work. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm looking forward to doing that in a, in a short while, in a year or two. Okay, wonderful. Well, thank you so much for coming and sharing some of your work with us today. For more information about Professor Shiva Ramakrishna and his work, please visit our website at yale.edu backslash Macmillan Report. Be sure to join us again for another episode of the Macmillan Report, made possible through funding from the Whitney and Betty Macmillan Center for International and Area Studies at Yale. Thank you very much. Thank you.